there! Thanks for listening to the Elevate Christian Church podcast. We exist as a church to connect people with God and each other. Today's message comes to us from our lead minister and preacher, Kevin Barton. We hope this inspires you, grows you, and challenges you in your faith and your walk with Jesus. Enjoy! We just got back last week from a family vacation. Um, I've got five children, and so my wife Lindy and I, uh, we loaded up our kids and we drove to Williamstown, Kentucky, uh, which is in the middle of Nowheresville. Uh, But in Williamstown, Kentucky, they did something quite remarkable. Uh, They built a life-size replica of Noah's Ark. And so uh, we went to visit that. I got to walk through all three stories of the ark. Um, They have a a petting zoo. They've got got all kinds of stuff. I I highly, highly recommend it. Um, And so we we went there. Uh, Williamstown, Kentucky is about 40 miles south of the city of Cincinnati, Ohio. Another attraction that's kind of a sister uh, attraction to Noah's Ark is the Creation Museum uh, that, that talks about how God created the earth and it, it goes through the, uh, the entire chapter of Genesis. Uh, it's really, really uh, fascinating. Uh, but the Creation Museum is actually closer into Cincinnati uh, than Noah's Ark. In fact, if you're familiar with the area, um, it's just on the other side, the Kentucky side of the Ohio River. And so uh, we, we were excited about both things that we were going to do as a family, uh, but we also had to fill some time and do some other things. And so one of the things that we set out to do was to go to a knife shop. Um, like I say, I've got five children, three of them are boys, uh, and they eat, sleep, drink and breathe guns, knives, and four-wheelers. So I feel like I'm doing a good job as a dad uh, in in that. Uh, So they wanted to go to a knife shop uh, and, and they wanted to get a, you know, a high quality knife, but not one that's like $400. And so um, I did what everyone did. I got on Google and, and found knife shops. Well, I found one, but the problem was it was in the city of Cincinnati. And many of you don't know this about me, but I am not a city person at all. I don't like crowds. I don't like traffic a whole lot. And so for, for me to agree uh, to go into the city was, was, was pretty big uh, for our family. And so we left the Creation Museum early. And we got into major traffic. If you've been in that area, you know that they're repairing all the bridges across the Ohio River. And so it is just a nightmare. I'll take Atlanta traffic any day uh, over Cincinnati traffic. So I white-knuckled my way, driving the little minivan, into the city. And when I say the city, we were in the city. Uh, All these one-way streets. Um, We finally found a place to park. Uh, and I did something I hadn't done in about 25 years. I, I parallel parked. Um, and we got out. My wife is digging through her purse. We're digging through the cup holders trying to find change for the little, you know, parking meters. And we finally got all that squared away. Traffic was, you know, going by us. And uh, we had to walk about a block to get to this knife shop. Like I said, I had Googled it. It said it was open till 6. Uh, they had a website with all these beautiful knives that we were uh, going to look at. And so uh, we're walking there, and we see the awning that says knife shop. 
And I, I could have swore I heard like the angels in heaven singing like the hallelujah chorus because we finally got there. And we walk up to the door and on a, on a notebook piece of paper on the door, it just said closed. And then underneath of it, there was another piece of paper that said gone fishing forever. Um, the guy retired and shut his knife shop down, but he didn't bother to tell Google. Uh, and so you can imagine after all we got, went through to get there, we were extremely disappointed. So we did what any good family would do. We went to Walmart and looked at their knives. Um, but I love the sign that this guy put on his, on his door for retirement. Gone fishing forever. Uh, those of you who are members and regular attenders around here, you know we just got through with an incredibly deep uh, series on the Holy Spirit. Um, we are starting a new series today, and, and I don't want you to freak out when I say this. Uh, we're going to keep it a little more lighthearted. Uh, typically around here, we preach expository style, um, but to, uh, th this message that we're going to be in for the summer is going to be a little more topical. That way, if you go to the lake or you go to the beach or you go camping and you miss um, a sermon, you're not going to be totally lost. Uh, each is, is self-contained. And so uh, the title of this new series is Gone Fishing, uh, and today's message is entitled the fish gate, the fish gate. Uh, and so what we're going to do for six weeks is we're going to look at these fishing stories that center around Jesus and the personhood of, of who Jesus is. So for six weeks, we're going to be doing this. And like I said, today's message is entitled the fish gate. Just by show of hands, uh, how many of you, uh, other than those of you who were here first service, how many of you have ever heard of the fish gate? in the Bible. Okay, one or two people. Yeah, it's, it's, not, uh, it's not a common thing at all. Um, so to begin with, we're going to go back to the Old Testament for a couple of minutes, uh, and we're going to meet a man in the Old Testament uh, by the name of Nehemiah. Uh, many of you may be familiar with Nehemiah, or you may have heard the name Nehemiah, or you might be familiar with the Old Testament book written by Nehemiah entitled... Nehemiah. Uh, um, Nehemiah was a, was a, a Jewish person. Uh, the Jewish people were living, on, they were captured by the Persian Empire. Okay, and so uh, they were not under their own rule. And so the Persians were ruling over the, uh, the Israelites. Nehemiah is this incredible man who kind of works his way up into the Persian king's palace, and he works his way up all the way to his cupbearer. Um, he has this good relationship with the king of Persia, and so he asks him, he requests of him, hey, can I go back to my people in Jerusalem, to the city, and rebuild the walls, the fortified walls around the city? Before the Persians ruled over uh, the Jewish people, uh, the Babylonians did. And you may remember the king Nebuchadnezzar in the Bible. Nebuchadnezzar came and destroyed Jerusalem, knocked these walls down, destroyed a lot of things. And so Nehemiah says, I want to go back and rebuild and refortify that city. Uh, and the king gives him uh, permission to get a crew together and gives him all this money to, to, to do this. That's how much he, he thought of, of Nehemiah. Real quick. 
not, not to go too far into this, but the city of Jerusalem had 12 entry points or 12 gates. You may have heard of some of the gates, like the Sheep Gate. Um, uh, and, and these gates had specific meanings and specific purposes. In the book of Nehemiah, he and his crew repair 10 of these 12 gates. All right, And the amazing thing is it only took them 52 days uh, to, to do this. And this was before cranes and bulldozers and all that. So you have these 12 different gates or these 12 different entrances into the holy city of Jerusalem, if you will. Each of these gates have, has significant meaning. All right, You could do a whole sermon series, the gospel and the gates on these 12 gates. Like you had the sheep gate where the sheep walked through. You had the dung gate, or gate which you didn't want to go through because it was the dung gate. You had all these different gates that had all these different purposes. One of the gates, one of the major gates going into the city was a gate called the fish gate. I want you to see it, Nehemiah 3, 3. This is as they're repairing the city. It says this, The sons of Hassaniah built the fish gate. They laid its beams. They set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. Okay, so you have this massive gate going into the city of Jerusalem called the fish gate. There's a picture that's going to come up on the screen behind you that kind of shows you um, how big this gate uh, actually is. Now, let me push the pause button for just a second. Uh, and, and you don't have to answer this out loud, but in your own mind, can you guess what the fish gate was used for? Yeah, it was used to bring fish into the city. The fish gate was on the north side of the city. It faced the Sea of Galilee. So the fishermen from the Sea of Galilee and the Mediterranean Sea would catch fish bring them to Jerusalem, bring them through the fish gate, because you know what was on the other side of the fish gate? The fish market. All right, so they would bring their fish in, into market, like, much like this picture here, all right? And then shoppers would come every day and, and, and sort through the fish, buy the fish. Um, and so this was the, the, the purpose of the fish gate. These fish were sold in the city market. Now, the fish gate itself was one of Jerusalem's main entrances. All right, so now we're going to fast forward from Nehemiah to the New Testament, uh, and we're going to talk about the fish gate for just a second here. I'm going to get you out of here relatively early. I want you to think about Jesus for a minute and the time that he spent physically here on earth. I, I, I am sure that over and over again, many times, Jesus walked through this fish gate. This would be the gate that his disciples would be more comfortable walking through. Um, you've got Peter, Andrew, James, John. All of them were fishermen. They were all familiar with this gate. These were their people. And so one by one, you remember, Jesus would pick them to be his disciples, and he would speak these words, Come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. That is the same call that goes out to you and I today. And so when we think about the fish gate itself, it reminds us that we are to get involved in evangelism because we have been called to be fishers of men, just like the disciples. Remember what the sign on the knife shop said? Gone fishing forever. 
And, and, and I can't overemphasize this enough. This is exactly what I was called to do. This is exactly what you were called to do, to spend our lives in Christ fishing for souls. So think about it. The fish gate itself was used to bring the fish into the marketplace, into the city. We are called to bring fish into the city of God, into the new Jerusalem. And so the fish gate, all these gates have a meaning, represent, <clears throat> represents for us God's call to transform the marketplace. It depicts the responsibility that I have and that you have to be spiritual leaders in the marketplace. Now, what do I mean by marketplace? I don't mean Kroger or Publix or Ingalls necessarily. Marketplace is this. This is the place where we work. This is where our kids go to school. This is where we live. This is where we shop and we eat and we play. This is where we conduct and do business. This is where we come into contact with our community, with, with people. These are the places that Jesus implores us to be salt and light. So let me ask you a, a, a question that's rhetorical here. Uh, let's say your coworkers or your classmates or your neighbors, um, they're trying to build a case against you uh, and they, to prove that you really are a Christian. Uh, they're trying to build a case to prove that you truly are a follower of Jesus Christ. If they were trying to build that case against you, is there enough evidence in your life at all to build that case against you? That's a sobering question because it causes us to pause and, and ask ourselves this question. How do we act in the marketplace? Do we act different at church than we do at work or at school or in our neighborhoods? How do we conduct ourselves in the marketplace? And more importantly, how do we interact with people in the marketplace, in particular, those who don't know the Lord? So I say this all the time, and, and it, it serves as a, a reminder. Um, the people you come in contact with, like I'm talking about the, the, the gas station attendant at the convenience store you go to. I'm talking about the clerk at your grocery store uh, or the greeter at Walmart. I'm talking about the, the, the sweet young lady or, or, or the nice young man who brings you your sweet tea at a restaurant. When you interact with those people, do you remember, is it always at the forefront of your mind that every single one of these people have a soul? Like, that young lady wasn't put on earth to bring you your sweet tea. That is not her purpose. Um, and, and, and we need to display, the, so Christians should be uh, the most polite. We should be the best tippers. We should bring joy when we get, you know, waiters and waitresses dread Sundays because they say the church crowd is the worst. Uh, they have the worst attitude and they're the worst tippers. There's a problem with that. How do we interact with people in the marketplace? 
We are called to not sit in these walls and sing kumbaya for the rest of our lives, but to go out and be salt and light, to be in the marketplace, to be at work, to be at school, to be in our neighborhoods, to be on the Little League field and interact with people in a way that brings glory to Jesus Christ and our Heavenly Father. So let me ask you this. Do people know that you're a follower of Jesus? Do they know who Jesus is to you? Listen, because everybody, everybody in the world has an opinion about Jesus. Some are good, some are bad, some are right, some are wrong. But you ask anybody, everybody in the world has an opinion about who Jesus is. And I would say it to you this way, it's always been that way. And so with that in mind, let's go to our text this morning, uh, the book of Mark. Uh, in the book of Mark, Jesus and his disciples, uh, they're doing something a little peculiar. They're actually in a Gentile-run town. Um, you know, Jesus would, would stay in his region a lot. Every now and then he'd go on the outskirts. Uh, he was in a town called Caesarea Philippi, um, and, and this, this town was a Roman town. It had tremendous Greco-Roman influence. There were also a lot of Jewish people living there as well. Okay, and so everybody in that town, everybody at the marketplace had an opinion on who Jesus was. And that's where we want to land today. Mark 8, look at verse 27. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the village of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? Okay, in other words, I envision it this way. Jesus having Peter, James, John, Andrew there and saying, listen, when I send you into town, when you go into the marketplace to buy bread and fruit and fish and supplies uh, to, to, to feed our disciples, and, and you're hearing conversations about me because that people know when we come to town, what are these people saying about me? Who do these people say that I am? It would be much like me asking you, hey, when you're at work or when you're at school or when you're at your neighborhood cookout and the subject of Jesus comes up, who do these people that are around you, what are they saying about Jesus? Who is Jesus to them? Who do they say that he is? And so Jesus is asking, who do these people say that I am? I love the response. Look at verse 28. And they told him, John the Baptist. Others say, no, he's not John the Baptist, he's Elijah. And still others say, well, he's just one of the prophets. All right. So the first thing they say is that he's John the Baptist. And I cannot overemphasize this enough. This was not a compliment at all. If you know anything about John the Baptist, John the Baptist was one of the weirdest dudes that ever roamed the planet. All right, he lived off-grid. He made, he made his own clothes um, out of rough camel skin. He slept outdoors. He slept on a rock. His diet consisted of honey-covered grasshoppers. Um, I picture him as being kind of wild and frizzy hair, kind of unkempt, like he's got grasshopper wings in his beard after he eats. Like super crazy. This guy was super, super weird. And so Jesus says, who do these people say that I am? They say, well, they say you're John the Baptist. That's a nice way of saying a lot of people in the marketplace say you're kind of weird, Jesus. 
And isn't that one of the views that we encounter in our marketplaces with people? Like this whole Jesus stuff, that's weird. This guy claimed to do what? He claimed to be God's son. He, he rose from the dead. That's just weird. And, and so and sometimes we're categorized as Jesus freaks because that's just very, very weird. All right. So it doesn't get any better because some said he was John the Baptist. Some said he was Elijah. There was one person on the planet that was weirder than John the Baptist. You know who that was? Elijah. Go back and read about Elijah was weird. He lived outside. He wore camel skins. He, he, was, he didn't eat grasshoppers and wild honey. He ate uh, food that was brought to him by birds. Um, just a weird, weird guy. Uh, and, and so a lot of people in the marketplaces of our lives are going to think, wow, Jesus is kind of weird, almost like a lunatic, kind of like a crazy man. Still others say he's one of the prophets. Okay, so we'll run into people like this in the marketplace, won't we? Yeah, I, I know about Jesus. He was a good moral teacher, a good prophet, but he was just one of many prophets. Um, he, he was just a prophet, a good moral teacher, a good man, but that's it. He wasn't God. He was lying about being God. And, okay, and so uh, they go from a lunatic to a liar. That's who people were saying Jesus was then, and I believe that's who a lot of people say Jesus is now, kind of a crazy lunatic or a liar. Now, here's the funny thing. Jesus is God. He's all-knowing. So he didn't really even have to ask the disciples, what's everybody saying about me? Who, who do these people say I am? Because he already knew what they were saying. He was doing this, I think, to set them up. And here comes the setup, verse 29. So some people say you're weird. Some people say you're just a, just a prophet of many. Then Jesus says in verse 29, but who do you? say that I am? Who do you say that I am? I know what everybody else says about Jesus, but who do you say that he is? I think that's a very important question to answer. Who is Jesus to you? Because who he is determines what he can do in your life. I think that's why the Apostle John, who was a fisherman before he was an apostle, implores us as the church to test the spirits, to test the teaching. Every time somebody gets up and preaches Jesus, test it against the word of God to make sure that it's true. Look what he says in 1 John 4, picking up in verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. But test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now this was written 2,000 years ago. Do you think those false prophets have gone away? No, there's probably many more. Verse 2. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. See, that's why it's important to have a relationship with Jesus and not just a religion. Because a religion is dead. It won't get us anywhere. We've got to have a living, breathing, moving, evolving relationship with Jesus. 
You see why it's important to know who Jesus is? So many people who are religious, they have the wrong view of who Jesus is. There is so much false doctrine about him. I'm not much of a blog reader. I just don't have that much time. But I, I did come across a blog um, entitled, Who is Jesus to You? It's from the Grace Tidings blog. And I found it fascinating because uh, what it did is it broke down the seven major religions in the world apart from Christianity. All right? And so these seven religions of the world, these, the, 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 you know, the biggest ones, um, it explored on w- what do they say about Jesus? Who is Jesus to this religion. All right, and I want to go through these, and it's not my intent to like disrespect any type of religion, but truth is truth, and we're gonna, always going to preach truth. Amen? Okay, so let's talk about the Muslim faith for a minute. All right, uh, Islam. Who is Jesus to the Islam faith? Well, according to, to their own writings, Jesus was not God. We've got a problem right there already. Nor was he the son of God. His virgin birth was likened to Adam's creation. In other words, he wasn't really born of a woman. You know how God spoke Adam into creation? That's how God spoke Jesus into creation. He was sinless. He was a worker of miracles and one of the most respected prophets sent by Allah. But he was not crucified, nor was he resurrected. Listen, if Jesus wasn't crucified and Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we might as well pack up and all go to the lake. Because we are, we, there's no reason to be here. The whole reason we're here is because of who Jesus really is. A crucified, resurrected son of God. Judaism, a uh, very, very uh, popular religion today, especially uh, in several parts of the world. Uh, Jewish people uh, view Jesus as an extreme false messiah. Uh, that he was uh, a good teacher, but he was martyred because he was a false prophet. Uh, many Jews won't even say his name, um, and they do not believe that he rose from the dead. Again, might as well pack up and go to the lake. Hinduism. Uh, Hinduism teaches that Jesus Christ was a teacher, a guru, or an avatar. Uh, he, he was the son of God, as are others, but his death did not atone for sins, and he did not rise from the dead. Buddhism. Uh, Jesus Christ is, isn't even a part of historical Buddhism, but here in the West, Jesus is generally viewed as an enlightened teacher. Um, and they believe that maybe he was some type of an avatar, but he was not God. Let's bring it a little closer to home. Jehovah's Witness. It's a very fat, those are the guys that are always knocking on your door. Always want to come in and, 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 and debate scripture with you. Here's what they believe about Jesus. Jesus is not God. Before he lived on earth, you can't make this stuff up. Before he lived on earth, they say he was Michael the archangel. And that God made the universe through him. On earth, he lived as a man, as a perfect life. Um, he didn't die on a cross. He died on a stake. He was resurrected only as spirit, but his physical body was destroyed. So again, a lot of false teachings about Jesus. Mormonism. Here's what Mormons teach about Jesus. Jesus is separate from God the Father. They're not the same. All right, that Jesus is a created, his spirit was created in heaven by 
the father and the spiritual mother, uh, and that Jesus is the elder brother of all men, including Satan. So Jesus and Satan were, were brothers. And they teach that, the, that his physical body was created through sexual union between Elohim, which is God, and Mary. They also teach that Jesus was married and his death on the cross did not provide full atonement for your sins. You've got to go to Joseph Smith for that. One more. A religion we don't talk about much. It's, it's, it's actually one of the faster growing religions in the world. Uh, it's New Age religion. Here's what they teach. Jesus is not one true God. He wasn't the Savior, but he was just a spiritual model or a guru. He is now an ascended master. He was a new ager when he was here on earth, and he, and he got his power because he learned to, to tap into God's divine power and become one with the universe, and that he didn't die uh, a death of crucifixion, but he actually moved to India or Tibet and learned mystical truths. He didn't rise physically from the dead, but he rose into a higher realm of consciousness. Okay, I love mushrooms, shiitake being my favorite, but these people are eating a totally different kind of mushroom that you, when you come up with this. Listen, he, here's what I want to tell you, and, and I, I, I want to be unapologetic about this. And if you get offended, you get offended. Everybody gets offended by everything these days. Um, Jesus said, I am the only way to the Father. Okay, and so, you know, we can take the mantra of let's all just coexist, all religions lead to the same path, but biblically speaking, Jesus said the only way to have relation with the Father, the only way to be reconciled from your sin, the only way to be resurrected into a new life is through me. I am the way to the Father. I am the truth. I am the light. I am the resurrection. No man comes to the Father but through me. And so you've got all these other religions that acknowledge Jesus existed, but he, 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 his work wasn't redemptive. He may or may not have died on a cross. He definitely wasn't resurrected. He was either a liar or a lunatic. So again, I, imagine Jesus sits you down today, takes you to lunch. And it gets real quiet at lunch. And he pierces into your eyes the only way the Savior of the universe can look through your soul. And he says to you, all right, you learned about what all these other religions say about me. You know what people who don't believe in me say about me. But he looks at you dead in the eye and he says, but who do you say I am? What would your response be? Is he a liar? Is he a lunatic or is he your Lord? Look at the response Peter had when Jesus asked the question. Verse 29 again. And Jesus asked, but who do you say that I am? And without even hesitating, Peter said, you are the Christ. Now that word Christ for us may not have the same meaning as it did back then because we have kind of cheapened it. You know what the word Christ means? When, when Peter said, you are the Christ, you know what he was saying? You are the anointed one. 
You are the promised Messiah God told us about. You are the one we've been waiting for. And so when Peter says, you are the Christ, here's what he's saying. You are God who in grace put on flesh and became man. You are the creator and the sustainer of the universe. You are the savior of all mankind. And you are and always will be the Lord of my life. This is the great confession that Peter utters when he says, you are the Christ. This is the confession that Jesus said that he would build his church on and that even the gates of hell could not prevail against it. So my confession concerning who Jesus Christ is, literally, is a matter of life and death. Your confession on who Jesus Christ is, literally, is a matter of life or death. Look what John says in 1 John 2, picking up in verse 22. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the what? Not the great prophet, not a good moral teacher, not Michael the archangel, not... Lucifer's brother, but the Christ, the chosen one, the Messiah. He's a liar who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist. He or she who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you, if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you too will abide in the Son and the Father. And don't miss this. This is the money phrase. And this is the promise that was made to us. Eternal life. You see, so our answer to the question of who Jesus is is literally a matter of life and death. And so I will ask you again, who do you say that Jesus is? Who is he in your life? And do you not just say it, but do you live it? It's easy to say Jesus is Lord, but it's far greater to prove that Jesus is Lord. Let me point out one other thing, and I'll, I'll get you out of here. Um, remember where Jesus was when this all happened? And when he said, who do these people say I am? Remember where he was when he asked this question? Look back at verse 27. He was in uh, Caesarea Philippi. Here's why that's important. As I mentioned earlier, Caesarea Philippi was a Greco-Roman city, not a Jewish city. And so the city was run by Roman citizens, by, by pagans, and they needed the Lord. The citizens of this city would say on a daily basis, they would utter these words every day, Caesar is Lord. Now that confession might identify them as loyal Roman citizens, but it can never save them from their sins, save them from hell, or bring them into eternal life. The only confession that does that is Jesus is Lord. And so let's talk about you just for 30 seconds here. When you go through the fish gate in your life, when you roll up into work or ride into school, you're at the marketplace. When you're living your life 
and be assured others are watching you. Do they see Jesus? Do they even know he exists by watching you in the marketplace? Do they see that Jesus is the Lord of your life? Do they see the real Jesus in your life? Not by what you say, but by what you do. Tomorrow morning, we're all going to get up and get ready for work or get ready to go into town and conduct business. And we're going to literally walk through the fish gate. Will people know that you serve Christ? You see, we're going to talk about being fishers of men next week, but in, in order to be fishers of men, we've got to walk through the fish gate into the marketplace and share the love of Christ with people who don't know him as their Savior. So the last thing I'll say is, is to Christians, those of you who are born-again believers in Jesus Christ, I want you to know, and I want you to understand something that you may have never thought about. Do you understand? That when all of us, when we accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we took on the commission to go fishing forever. Until our last breath, that is our purpose on this earth. Fishing for men, fishing for women, bringing them into a relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope you enjoyed listening to our podcast today. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate or partner with us in what God is doing here, check out our website at elevatecc.com. Until next time, God bless you and thanks again.